0: Kids can head back to be with our team at Transformation Station, and I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 7 this morning, so that's uh, in the New Testament, fourth book. As you move forward in the New Testament, we'll be in all of chapter 7 today. Well, I hope uh, you have some plans today to connect with some other people. Maybe that's here at m We have several Super Bowl parties. Uh, that are going to be happening around the city, uh, as well as, you know, just the opportunity to connect with friends. If you don't go to one of our parties, I hope you'll connect with another set of friends, whether that's within Redemption Hill or outside of Redemption Hill, uh, to, to have fun and, and enjoy the game. And if that's not your thing, then, uh, you know, get some rest, read a book, and, you know, we still love you. It's all good. Um, but uh, I want to I start today by asking you a few questions, um, and just, just wrestle with them for a moment. Um, would you consider yourself to be a person of influence? Would you consider yourself to be a person of influence? Do you desire to be a person of influence? I I would assume that there are a few of us that would say, you know what, I, I want to have Very little impact on the people around me. I mean, I'll just put my cards on the Like, I I hope that's the case, all right? Uh, I, I hope that most of us would say, you know what? I want there to be something magnetic about me and my life. And when you use that word magnetic, I know some of you are like already backing up, you're saying like, you know what, man, I am not. When I walk into the room, I'm not going to light up a room with my personality. I'm not going to, that's that's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. With with the force of your character, with the force of your love, do you make a difference in the lives of, Of people around you. This is the kind of life that I often pray God would help me to lead. Not so that people are like, Tanner's a great guy, Tanner's magnetic, Tanner's influential. No, no, no. Just because God has given me one life and I want to spend it really well and I want to point people to how great he is and I want to be a a difference maker. And the lives of people around me. And I want to be around people that by the force of their character and the force of their love, they're influencing me. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a difference maker. Jesus was magnetic. Magnetic. To spend just a few hours with Jesus, to, to feel the force of his character and the force of his love, it, it, would, it would change people on the spot. But as we see in the Gospel of John, not, not everyone saw Christ in this way. In fact, many people did not feel any magnetism from him at all. In fact, they, they felt really repulsed by him, repulsed by his teaching. And so today, we, we see in John chapter 7, there's this question that's that's being uh, asked and, and uncovered. Uh, what are we to make of Jesus Christ? That is the question. That is the question that people were wrestling with in that day, and that is still the question that people are wrestling with today. And so I want to ask you, as we jump into. To John chapter 7, uh, what do you, what do you make of Jesus Christ? Re- read these first 36. I'm going to take my time and read these verses for us, but let's, let's read through the first 36 verses of John chapter 7. You can follow along as I read them for us, and just, just ask the question, what, what are people making of Jesus? As you even ask yourself the same question, what do you make of Jesus, It says this, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will find me where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. The people were seeking to answer this question. What do you make of Jesus? We find a variety of answers, and and through this sequence, we peer into the life of Christ, and it helps us to respond to to who he is and what he was all about, okay? So so we first need to see that Jesus faced opposition and imminent persecution. He he faced opposition and persecution. I mean, does anyone ever get kind of stressed in your life? Anyone had a stressful week, maybe even this week, as, as Pastor John mentioned earlier? I mean, there are all kinds of different stressors that kind of creep into our lives. Listen, if, if you want to meet someone who went under a lot of stress, here's Jesus. The, the, the public ministry of Christ, from its very beginning, it was just like one acceleration on the stressometer. You know what I'm saying? It just... From the very beginning, and we even get smacked in the face with this in verse 1 where it says that he couldn't even go about in Judea where Jerusalem was located, where the concentration of religious leaders were were found because why? They were seeking to kill him. People were after Jesus. They were not only opposing him, but they wanted to take him and so how does this opposition then show up in a, in a variety of ways? Well, well, number one, and maybe you can identify with this, um, Jesus was misunderstood and doubted by even his own family. I mean, you, you know, family relationships aren't are always what you know, we want them to be or what we believe they should be. Well. Jesus has walked a mile in your shoes. I mean, his his brothers are even basically saying, hey, if you are really the Messiah, then go to Jerusalem and perform the signs there that you've been performing around here. You see, they, they like other uh, Jewish people in terms of, the expectations of what the Messiah, what the coming rescuer and deliverer were, was going to look like, they thought that J- Jesus, if he was the Messiah, was going to set up this kind of political, militaristic a kingdom that would overthrow Rome and restore Israel to their prominent place among the peoples of that land. And Jesus is saying, you, you don't understand what It looks like for me to be the Messiah. You have a different set of expectations other than what God wants for you. Not necessarily your immediate physical deliverance, but most certainly your spiritual deliverance. And oh, by the way, um, Jesus delivers us not only spiritually, but also physically. And that's the storyline of the Bible. Jesus will restore all things. He will make all things right, including the, our own physical lives, but his his brothers are are, are, are misunderstanding him they 're doubting him they 're disbelieving in him uh, listen to this and and he was like i 'm asking the question here right this is this is his brothers. How could they have missed it and I think the reason that, that I struggle with even understanding this is because we forget i think even though like we may know it up here like we just kind of forget practically that jesus was fully god okay he was fully divine the son of god the eternal son of god and yet he was also what fully man fully human And so listen to what one scholar uh, says about this. So real and genuine was Jesus' humanity, and so well, well hidden was his deity before his earthly ministry began, that even those who had lived in the same house with him for nearly 30 years did not know who he was. Not even his brothers believed in him. They lived and ate and slept in the same rooms as the eternal Son of God and did not know it. Wow. Isn't that a staggering thought? His own brothers did not yet even believe that he was the son of God, the Messiah, the one that was going to redeem Israel out of all there was and anyone who would believe in him. And so perhaps I'm just wondering, just perhaps um, there is a point of comparison for you. Perhaps you have been around Christianity your your whole life, maybe, maybe, or at least a, a large portion of your life, and you would say, I kind of know a few things about Jesus, and I think I understand kind of the basic claims of the Bible, and yet it's never become real in your life. It's never become a power that really transforms the way that you live on a day-to-day basis. I mean, this was true for the brothers, but listen to this. The story doesn't end there. Um, You remember there's this book in the Bible called James, which was written by the brother of Jesus, that James. James. So, so, so there's, there's, there's hope for, for those who do not yet see who Christ is and experience the transformation that he wants to bring. God is not finished with anyone. And so if you've kind of been around Christianity, you're exploring and you're doubting and you're wondering, I would say keep taking the next step. Because perhaps even today, God can show you who Christ is as he's laid out here in the word. So, so that's what was happening there with this family. They're saying, hey, if you're the Messiah, go on up to Jerusalem. Show everybody that you're Messiah. And Jesus says in John, in John chapter 7, of verse 8, I am not going, which the, the sense of the verb is I'm not going now. I'm not going at this point. He says, for you, it's always the right time. Push the button, you want it to happen. God operates on a different timetable. And perhaps just as a quick side note, perhaps you really need to hear that this morning. We all have hopes, we all have desires, we all have dreams. And a lot of times in our lives, those hopes, desires, and dreams are not fulfilled in the timetable in which we want them to be. And so maybe you just need to remember that that God wants to make a difference in your life while you wait for his his different time window. Did you catch that? God is at work. God God even when we can't see it, God is working. He wants to to accomplish his good plans, not only in this world cosmically, but even in our lives personally. And so Jesus, in fact, does go up to the feast. It says in verse um, uh, 10 um, that, that after his brothers had gone up, he went up, not publicly, but in private. And here it is when we then see this chorus of opinion start to rage about who Jesus is. And this is where we see that he lived under constant public scrutiny. I don't know if, if you like watch The View you know, in the mornings or maybe if you're a sports fan, you, you're watching Around the Horn on ESPN, all right? But, but there's like all these kind of talking heads, maybe some we like, maybe some we don't care for, um, but, but, but just all of these kind of opinions on the different topics under the sun. Like This is what was happening in Jerusalem in the first century. We just saw it. I mean, there are all kinds of different opinions about Jesus. Uh, verse 12, he's a good man. Look at all he's doing. He's healing people. He's teaching wisdom. He's a good man. And then others are saying in the very same verse, no, he's leading people astray. In verse 15, we see, oh, he's a, he's a good teacher. Listen to the wisdom that flows from his lips. And then others would say, you know what? No, no, no. He's, he's not a divine teacher. He's a false teacher. He doesn't even have degrees hanging on his wall." And it is true that Jesus had no formal rabbinic training, which he didn't need it, right? I mean, he, he, he's the eternal word. He, he, know, he knew the scriptures in and out because of his study of them. People even thought that he was mad. Look at verse 20. You, you have a demon. You're saying that people want to kill you. What are you talking about? They didn't know. They didn't know the story. They didn't know the, the details. And so I mean, like, just, just in case you missed that, like, that is not a compliment. All right? And I'm going to take that one as like, you have a demon. Like, that's an insult. That's an, and, and, and this is coming to the one who made all angels, even those who fell away and became demonic. Maybe he's the Messiah. No, he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to, we, we, we don't know where the Messiah is coming from. Well, no, wait, we do. It's not in Galilee. Nazareth was up in Galilee. The Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem and that these people did not know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. All of these different opinions are sounded off there in Jerusalem. But even in the midst of all this, verse 31 is so encouraging. It says, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And so the question is, what were they to do with him, and what are we to do with Jesus? And I want to jump back to verses 14 through 24, because it's in this teaching that I think there's a lot of helpful thought for us as we wrestle with what we are to make of Jesus. You see, Jesus was, was answering the the charge, hey, this guy is not sincere. He is not giving true wisdom and teaching from God. Jesus says, well, let me just put two sincerity tests on that for you, all right? Um, Number one, he says, you can know I am sincere and you can know my words are true because I am not here for my own sake. My heavenly father, your heavenly Father, God the Father, sent me, God the Son, on a mission to give you the truth. So, so if you want to know if someone's sincere, are they speaking for their own applause and their own glory and their own recognition? Or have they been commissioned by a higher authority and they are just seeking to be faithful to that mission? Jesus says, look, I'm not here for me. I'm I'm here for someone else, namely the God who you claim to worship. So number one, you can know that I'm sincere because I'm not after my own in this. But then number two, and this is where it gets personal. He says, look, if if you want to know if I'm sincere, you need to look within your own heart. Not just listen to my words and that I'm saying, I'm not speaking this for me, but you need to look within your own heart to determine whether or not these things are true. Because what Jesus does is he said, look, um, you are claiming that I am doing wrong things and I'm giving wrong teaching. But actually, that very stance is hypocritical. And why is that? You see, you remember John chapter 5, Jesus healed a lame man. He had been lame for 38 years, I believe, uh, chapter 5 says. But he did this when? On the Sabbath, on the day of rest and worship for the people there in Jerusalem. And so the religious leaders were up in arms about this. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't pick up your mat and walk. And yet Jesus says, look, if, if, you, would, if you would circumcise a baby on the Sabbath, which which was lawful, it, it upheld the laws, what was supposed to happen on the eighth day, whether the eighth day was a, a Wednesday or a Saturday, the Sabbath, um, Jesus says, you know what? Um, isn't it hypocritical for you to say that it's wrong to heal a, a man's whole body? Judge not by appearances, but judge with right judgment, verse 24. So, so, so here's what Jesus is saying, all right? Listen to this. Jesus is saying, if you want to know whether these things are true, measure in your heart if you are willing to follow them if they are true. You got that? Verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. One of the primary reasons people do not follow Jesus is because they do not want to follow Jesus. Let me put that another way. People can look at the evidence, and there is all kinds of evidence. If you want to determine whether or not Christianity is intellectually credible and the dots match up, you can do that. But, but even, even if you say, yes, Jesus really lived, who can refute that? If you would say, Jesus really died on a cross... Who can refute that? And, and, and even if you said Jesus was, was raised, which I know takes, certainly takes a measure of faith to, to say that, but there's all kinds of evidence for, for that being true, um, you can believe all of those things and, and not yet really follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus makes claims on our lives. He makes demands of us and he says, look, you need to stop living this way uh, according to your own wisdom and you need to jump on my path, the path of true and better wisdom. And so until people want to really say, you know what, if this is true, I am willing to follow it and him no matter what, that is going to keep many people out of the kingdom of God. And this is what was going on here in John chapter 7. These teachers, they, they, they thought they knew the law, but they weren't living consistent with the law. They didn't really want to follow God with all of their lives, with all of their hearts. And Jesus is saying, this is what is keeping people out of the kingdom of God. If you want to know I'm sincere, look at my teaching, but also look at your heart. And see if you really are willing to follow me no matter the cost. And so just on this note, as we consider the the teaching of Christ, I want you to consider this, okay? Especially if you're not yet a believer in Christ. There is no other leader of any other major world religion that would say, I am the eternal son of God. There is no other teacher that would make the radical claim that I am sent from God as his son, and I am the savior of the world. And so what most people want to do with Jesus, all right? This is, if this is you today, just I want you to think about it, all right? Most people would say, you know what? I don't believe he's God, but I believe he's good. Like, I, don't, I don't believe he's God, but I believe that he was a good teacher, that he had a lot of wisdom, that I can even take what I read in the Bible, and I'm not going to believe all that resurrection stuff, but I'm going to at least follow what he says. But how good would he be if the very uh, essence of his teaching was nothing more than a lie and a fraud? We cannot mildly approve of Jesus. He does not leave us that option. He is either God or he is a fraud, but he cannot be both. And so let's not pass Jesus off as a good teacher, as someone that, you know, we should kind of follow his wisdom and teaching, but we shouldn't really follow him in everything. Because Jesus does not leave us that option. What are you to make of Jesus Christ? I hope, I pray that you will say he is the Lord of all. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one that I should follow with my life. But even as we ask this question, what are you to make of Jesus Christ? I think there's a, there's a better question. And C.S. Lewis says this in an essay that's actually titled, What Are We to Make of Jesus Christ? This is what he goes on to say. What are we to make of Jesus Christ? This is a question which has, in a sense, a frantically comic side. For the real question is not what we are to make of Christ, but what he is to make of us the picture of a fly sitting deciding what it is going to make of an elephant has comic elements about it don't you love that it's like a it's like a little pebble sitting next to everest and saying hmm do you measure up like we we are frail give us 70 80 years at best and we're going to to stand in judgment over the infinite God of the universe, like something doesn't add up there. And so the better question is not what are we to make of Jesus Christ. The better question is what does he intend to make of us? And this is what we start to see in verses 37 through 39. I love these verses. We're going to zoom in here and basically end it right here In, in these three verses. It says this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Right? I, need to, I need you to just kind of come in, like sit down at this like little, you know, professor's table. I've got to teach you just a little bit of what's going on here in Jerusalem in roughly 30 uh, AD, all right? This is the deal. Um, this was, as we saw in verse 1, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people were known for having great celebrations, all right? And we, we need to be more like them, all right? We need to celebrate more. That's part of our vision for this year. Thank you very much, all right? So we're going to be about that. But they, they had these elaborate feasts that would last for days. This one lasted eight days. And what they did, the, 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 the word booths or tabernacles, we can translate into the word today, tents. All right? I don't know about you, does I hope... All right, And certainly some people in our city, they live, they live in maybe, maybe makeshift tents or even worse. They're, they're homeless. But that is not the case for the vast majority of Bostonians. And so people, when they were on the exodus out of Egypt in the Old Testament, this all bears this out in the first five books of the Bible, um, they, they lived in tents as they were journeying, journeying through uh, the desert wilderness, And so, I don't know if you've spent much time in a desert, but um, the desert doesn't produce a lot of vegetation or a lot of water. All right? Anybody from the West, west, you know, part of America, maybe Arizona, you know, Utah, like there is just not a lot of, of vegetation and water in the desert. And yet, while they were on this desert journey, God provided food for them and he provided water for them. So, on this festival, they would carry these, these, uh, these branches from uh, lullab plants and citron plants in their left and right hand, and they would uh, move into the city, remembering how God provided vegetation for them. But not only that, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam which we read about in John 5, remember when, where Jesus healed the man who was lame, they would go to the pool of Siloam, bring back a, a cup full of water, and they would pour it in in front of the people while there is the sound of trumpets and celebration going on, and the water would then run down by the altar, and people would thank God for how he had provided water in the past, and it was a prayer for water in the future. Okay, you tracking with me? This is all what's going on in the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody with me? All right, thank you very much paying attention so 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 this is what's happening day one two three four five six seven day eight except for on rare and special years that the priest would not go and get the water day eight was the last day the great day of the feast and so Jesus stands up on the last day, the great day of the feast, when there is no water being brought in to the temple area. And he stands up and he says, I am the water. I am the water that God has provided for you. So come to me and drink. Come to me and, and celebrate that you have everything you need For your lives. How amazing and powerful is it? I mean, Jesus said it, I'm sure, much better than I just said it. There was like no hesitation with Jesus. He was loud. He was emphatic. He waited till the day when there was the biggest crowds and showed how he fulfills this symbolism of water for the people. And so two encouragements that flow out of this. Um, Because Jesus desires to produce this deep fulfillment in our souls, I think he would want to say to us today, come to me to receive living water. This thirst that Jesus is talking about is a soul thirst. Right? There is something that runs deeper than the hydration of our physical bodies. We all long for something that's transcendent. Something that makes the world go right. Something that will satisfy a deep longing for deep joy and peace within us. And Jesus is saying, I am the answer for all of that. I am the answer. Come and and drink if, if you thirst If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And and I want you to think about this, all right? There is absolutely no conditions, none, for someone to come to Jesus. This is all absolutely free. Except there is one condition, and the condition is not on the basis of how much it costs. The, the, The condition is on the basis of how much you are thirsty, do you see a need for Christ? Do you, do you see a need? Have you, have you tried other avenues in life that you feel like will satisfy that need? We Listen, the, the story of Scripture and the story of my own life is, look, um, relationships are great, but they won't cut it. The pursuit of, of, of accomplishments are nice, but they don't last. No one cares that I could hope back in the day. You know what I'm saying? It's just like nobody cares, man. I, like I still want to be that guy, but nobody cares. Pleasure, sex, money, prestige at work. These things are not bad. But these things were not designed to fulfill us forever. We have to see our need for Christ. We have to come to him and, and drink. And to come to him and drink means to enter into a trusting, ongoing, personal relationship with him. So, so what does this tell us? Okay? This is not a one-time deal. Like, got my eight ounces, I'm good. All right? We come to Jesus... And we keep drinking, all right? So, so, you know, like doctors, you know, like apparently doctors, which probably isn't doctors because this is more of a myth than a fact, all right? But it's like, get your eight, you know, glasses of, of water a day, right? And we have heard this, all right? It's like, it's kind of in that range, like eight glasses of fluids, like keeps us going, all right? That is not the picture of what we have here with Jesus, all right? To, to come to Jesus and drink is more like, 88 times a day or 888 times a day. It is, it is wholehearted involvement and participation with who he is. So, so I, I came to Christ as, 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 a young, as a young man. You could say really a, a boy. I, I understood the gospel that Jesus died for me, that I really needed him because my, my sin, the wrong things that I had done in the sight of God and the sight of others, um, that separated me from God. But Jesus made the way. He made, made the way for me to be reconnected to God. And so I came to Jesus to drink. But, but, but even as, a, as like a nine-year-old kid, you think like I just one drink was, was enough? No. I'm still like every single day trying to come to the word and come to God in prayer and hang out with, with people who encourage my faith. Because all of these, these ways are a way that, that, that I can drink of Christ. And it's not just kind of, you know, a few things like that. It's, it's an ongoing, um, like a, an attitude of, of prayer, a constant awareness. So just listen to this, okay? When you are tired, him. When you are stressed, him. When you are frustrated with your spouse or your kids. I know that never happens right here, but, but let's just pretend that it does. Him, when you're sick of your coworkers, him, when you fear the future, him, when you have tough decisions to make, him, and when you crush a presentation at work, him, thank you, now you got me, Uh, when you have a good conversation with a friend, him, thank you, um, wait, what else did I say here in my nose? Uh, y'all just getting me excited, right? When you, when you bring a can of soup. All right, let's go do it, man. I'm just gonna end the sermon right now, all right? That's good. Hey, I like it when y'all talk a little bit, you know? Thank you. This is what it means to come and drink freely of Jesus in everything. We don't, we don't hit the switch on this, you know? It's like, All the time, we're coming to him. Listen, how many of you realize that this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday? Anybody realize that? Super early this year because Easter is early this year. And and many of you know that Ash Wednesday equates to Mardi Gras in New Orleans, all right? that horribly debased, you know, activity that's going to be happening there. Anyway, um, Now, it's, a, you know, hopefully some people are having some clean fun. We should all have some clean fun in life, all right? But, but anyway, we won't worry about that. Um, not only is Ash Wednesday Mardi Gras, it is also the first day of what? Lent. And so Lent is a season leading up to, to Easter, a 40-day journey, by which the church through the centuries have have fasted from certain things in life so that why? So that they can feast on Christ. And so last year, listen to this, Pastor Tanner, right? I was 34 years old then, I'm 35 now. For the first time last year, I observed Lent. First time ever. And it was an awesome journey because it just got me focused spiritually on this discipline that I actually used to practice more in college than I did at up until that time last year, and, and I just decided to, to fast from a, a couple of things in my life. And I want to encourage you, um, maybe, it's, maybe it's food. Maybe it's in some way, shape, or form food on a day of the week or certain times of your day. Um, or You know, and just do, do that however you want to, all right? But, but maybe you would say, I would give up some food so that I can step back and focus more on Christ. Or it doesn't have to be food. Maybe you would say, you know, it's unwise, or I don't feel like I should, you know, give up food. But I'll, I'll, I'll give up, and or I'll give up, like, here I go, uh, technology. For parts of my day, for parts of my week, you know, like, uh, like television, hmm, uh, social media, net, Netflix, um, just to to step back and say, like, Jesus is better than, than that. Jesus is more satisfying than that. I mean, I've discovered this even in the past couple of months. I was, I was seeing, like, one thing that God has been, this is just kind of personal conversation, you know, um... I've been wanting to read more, like when you were in seminary, like preparing to be a pastor, like all I all I could do was read. I would stay up until the wee hours of the morning reading because I had to read all of these books and all of these, you know, um, endless pages of of you know beautiful information. Um, thank you. And uh, so so, but but in recent years, I just haven't been reading the quite the near the volume that I read back in those days. It's like I wanted to kind of reignite this this love for reading, and so I saw that you know what would happen. If I would say no to social media from 8.45 to 10.45 at night, I would, more importantly, be a better husband because I'd have some more quality time with Marsha when we're not just like mindlessly on our phones, you know, like we do that too. Uh, I know you guys do too as well. Um, and, and then, and then I, you know, hey, we love each other here. And, um, and I would have more time to, to read. So just by a simple discipline of saying, you know what? I can forsake something for a season for something better. That's what, that's what Lent is all about. That's what fasting is all about. Even if you say, like, Lent is not my thing. I don't think it's whatever. Um, then you can do this any day, starting today. The point is to fast so that we can feast on Christ. This is, this is, by the way, how we're going to build and celebrate as a church. That's our vision this year as a church, to, to build and then celebrate. So, so the build is an acronym that stands for Beholding the Glory of Christ as a Unified Family. Da, 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 da. So, so think about this. Fasting to feast is beholding the glory of Christ. And to do that together as a church family during Lent is to behold the glory of Christ as a unified family. That's what we want to do so that we can intentionally love all people depending on his grace, to see God turn this city upside down. That's the vision. So so let me just wrap up with this. What happens then when when we come and drink? Come to Christ to receive living water, and then when you live in him, what happens is you give his living water to other people. Look at verse 38 one more time. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, Jesus wants to turn every single one of us into a person of influence. When we spend time with the greatest influencer who has ever lived, who now, let your mind be boggled once again, now lives in us by his Spirit, we will necessarily influence the people around us. As we saw in Ephesians last year, Christ in us becomes Christ through us. The more we experience of Christ, the more of Christ people will experience through us. And so if you want to make a difference in the lives of those around you, if you want to be a magnetic person, if you want to give life to people when you spend time with them, if you want people to walk away encouraged and uplifted and refreshed because they spent time with you, if you want people to feel a little more confident to face the future, if by your kindness and love you motivate someone else to be more kind and loving, you need to spend time with the one who is kindness, and who is love, so that then you can flow through, uh, so that he can flow through you to others. That's the point. That's the vision. That's the hope. That we would be people of influence because we are spending time, we are being filled with the greatest influencer, Jesus Christ himself. And so listen, let me just, there is no limit to this. There's no There's no limit. There is no cap. Like when 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 Paul says in galatians I'm ending right here. Right? When when Paul says in Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind of going to favor, self-control, and things like these. Which that's not the definitive list. That's just part of like that gets a started list. And he says against such things, what there is no law. What he's saying is there's no restriction. There's no limit. We can be as liberal as we want to be with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and boldness and wisdom and humility. And when we just give ourselves away in that manner, not only will our lives experience increasing satisfaction, but those around us will do the same. Let's pray to be that kind of people as A church. Father, we are so grateful that you have given us everything when you gave us your Son, Jesus Christ. You've offered us new life in Him through His perfect life, through His sacrificial death, through His amazing resurrection. And so, Father, I pray for for us today as we consider who Jesus is and what we are to make of Him. God, I pray that you would show us who he is truly and that we would live accordingly each day of our life. God, you put no limit on how much we can come and drink from him. And consequently, you put no limit on how much you can use us to make a difference in the lives of others. So, God, I pray that we would be an influential people. We would be an influential church. Not so that people can say Redemption Hill is great. Not so that we can get a story in the Mefra Transcript. Not so that the Boston Globe can start talking about our church. That's not the point, God. You are the point, And we want to see you work in the lives of those around us, God. So use us, we pray. All for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.